Found Live in three, two, one. Hey, welcome to Found Live. I'm your host, Daryl Etherington, and I'm joined by the Trader Joe's to my Whole Foods. I get to be the fancy one? Wait, they're both kind of fancy. I'm Canadian. Well, I don't understand these things. But uh, Trader Joe's is less expensive, but more sought after, I feel right. like. So that actually does equate pretty well to us. I'm Jordan Crook. <laughs> Thanks for the awesome intro, Daryl. And thank you to everyone for joining us this week. Found is TechCrunch's elite podcast that covers the stories behind only. the startups. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's just like of the podcast, it's elite, mm, not I for see. elites yeah. only. Yeah. Damn, get out of here. We get the stories behind the startups and we go live every other Thursday. So this is one of the Thursdays where we're on. On the Thursdays we're off, the equity crew comes in and fills in for us. So don't miss next Thursday. Equity will be recorded live. Yeah. And so just one note before we get going, if you're joining us on Twitter and YouTube, we love you too. But if you want to ask questions live, you're not going to be able to do that there. So just go over to our hop in link and then uh, it's pound, uh, pinned to our Twitter and also the found Twitter, depending on which account you're following or have open. And then you can just click on that. You go register. It's a free registration and you ask us questions in real time. So me and Jordan, obviously have great questions, but perhaps you can challenge us with your questions and see if they're better we love audience questions (laughs) and then yeah that's it i think we're ready to get our guest on here yeah before we bring our guest before we bring our guest on though i just do want to say that i wish that the past tense of pin was pound i do think that that would be cool (laughs) (laughs) so i just needed that to be said at the top of the show so okay let's bring our guests in we are super excited to have justin intal who's the ceo and co-founder of forage with us justin what's up hey guys thanks for having me Excited to be here. Yeah, great to have you. All right, so we typically do this thing at the start. We're pretty regular about this, where basically you, <laughs> you give make us... it sound so innovative. It's like, so innovative. It's so groundbreaking. Yes. No one else does this, but we do. <laughs> Justin, we would love for you to explain what your company does. So, yeah, most people do do this, but go ahead. That's the innovation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Our product and company is pretty simple. We help merchants and platforms like your Whole Foods and Trader Joe's accept EBT payments online. EBT is commonly known as food stamps, and there's roughly about 42 million Americans who rely on this subsidy. And we help process those payments similar to Stripe. Great. Awesome. Wow. Short and sweet. I think you've had practice doing this. Yeah, nailed it. (laughs) But I mean, he says it's short and sweet, but I bet it's a lot more complicated than it sounds, right? Because there's a reason why this hasn't existed before. Or is it just like ignorance to this group of people? Or is it more complicated than it might sound? Because that's where my guess is. Yeah, there's a mixture. And it's a great question. I think there's a lot of reasons why no one has really tackled this beforehand. A lot of it is due to the acceleration of online grocery shopping and the acceleration of COVID. And also with the help of government really pushing this forward with what's known as the farm bill Mm. to accelerate this. But in terms of that, there's like two things that we solve in Forge, which is we help the compliance and the operational side to get your merchant and platform approved by the USDA. Similar things like, hey, like, is your inventory SNAP eligible? So things that like, I can buy certain goods, I can't buy cleaning supplies. Mm-hmm. And then the second part is, it's not just a, obviously there's a software issue, which is like none of Stripe or PayPal or Braintree are really focusing on this because it's fairly new. And so you see legacy providers are the only ones who are able to do the technology side or the payment side. Mm-hmm. So we do both those things. And 
sure it can be messy, but it's also like reassuring that we're able to help people out in terms of yeah. getting them fed. And so even though there may be a lift, you know, I think at the end of the day, for us as a company and, and our mission, it's really impactful that we help those families out who I think are a better product market fit for online grocery shopping than anyone else. Right, right on. So you mentioned the stripes and the brain trees, et cetera, and like you mentioned they just haven't done it. And can you just expand a bit more about like, what is the reasoning behind them not? Do they see it as perhaps not a significant market? Because when I look at it and I'm like trying to think in like a VC terms, what's the scale of this? But you mentioned like 42 million Americans make use of this, right? But like, is that yeah. a reason why? Or are they just like, well, it's not worth our time versus these other things? Is it things, like a technical or? thing? Is yeah. it like a... Regulatory. As thing. I mentioned, if it was clearly a, a payments or software solution, they would knock it out of the park. Right. Like okay. adding in yeah. PayPal, Stripe. But there's a whole compliance aspect of it that we support and we help out the merchants and platforms. I mean, in terms of the overall impact, like, yeah, this is a huge market. 42 million Americans. It reached about $120 billion in the past 20 years alone. Wow. It has grown 12.8% year over year, regardless wow. of if it's like a, a Democratic or, or Republican um, administration. And then when I talk about that $120 billion of EBT spend, that doesn't include all the extra items that they buy that EBT doesn't cover. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the whole grocery bill that a merchant or platform really captures instead. So it's actually larger than that if you think about it. Yeah, because you were talking about cleaning supplies and stuff. So there's stuff that doesn't fall under the bailiwick, but it's going to go in the grocery bill anyway, right? Exactly, exactly. So the additional items, cleaning supplies don't count, alcohol doesn't count. And so all those things, and obviously like the service fees as well, Mm -hmm. I do not count under EBT or food stamps. So we've created a product and a feature that does a split tender. So no one else actually has done a split tender besides us because of the nature of like how we have to go process these payments. Yeah, great. So how did you get into this? Like, how did you arrive at this? It seems very particular and not niche because they said it's a massive opportunity, but like very specific, right? Like, how would you even realize that this problem exists? And why you like, why did you choose to do it? You know? Yeah, yeah. I think just like a little bit about me. Mm-hmm. Most of my career, I've worked in like social impact tech. And yeah, I, I started off in the... On your LinkedIn. Yeah. I do my research. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I don't. So, um, <laughs> I don't have any background in payments or food per se. But like I just, my upbringing brought me to wanting to provide impact, but wanting to work in tech. And so I immediately jumped on working at Noodle, was under the tutelage of an amazing CEO, John Katzman. Mm-hmm. who started to you and Prince interview took both of them public and was there for about a year and a half and then moved over to become a chief of staff at Newzella. Newzella is now an amazing company. And I was as chief of staff, I was managing their series B round. Mm-hmm. What led me to kind of this situation was when I started my first company and completely failed. No, I didn't have like the luxury. I noticed that <laughs> what's lovely is that you have that in the, your description, your job description on LinkedIn, you have, we raised 1 million, but failed to get PMF is like just one <laughs> sentence and then you're done. I love that. I love that you just put it there, but you're yeah, clearly I mean, comfortable like, talking about it. But yeah, there are so many things that you learn as a founder multiple times and it, it never, it, it does get easier, but you kind of learn like your hiccups and failing, like even though working with those two amazing CEOs, like failing as an entrepreneur is probably the best lesson ever. And so mm-hmm. coming back, as a failed entrepreneur back to California, where I'm from, I found myself on food stamps, like mm. just like these other 42 million Americans. And something I'm really close to my mom, like growing up, she's been my idol and something where I always look up to. And so my mom passed away when I was in college and I became my sister's legal guardian. And that's kind of like how I started off in this whole social impact tech space. And one thing I did was I created this Facebook group that had about like 10,000 moms in California. 
And I wasn't trying to build a company. I just wanted like to have like some support. I would talk to these parents and moms from like 6 to 9 p.m. And we talk about like, hey, how do you, this is before the pandemic and before the acceleration of grocery shopping. Hey, like, how do you guys go about saving money? How do you guys go about grocery shopping? How far are you willing to drive to Costco? Because, you know, it's, it's a whale. Yeah. It can give you like so much data points. What do you guys cook for your kids when it's their birthdays? Do you do online grocery shopping? How do you apply for EBT? And what surfaced around that group was that the biggest problem was their inability to transact EBT payments online. Mm. So during that time, there's only about six to eight stores, roughly, that can accept these payments online. But for all of us who have a separate form of payment or credit card or or debit card, you can shop at Misfits Markets, you can shop at Imperfect, you can shop at Farmstead. And for them, it's like they kind of are focusing on that. And then I realized that like that connection with all these parents was like a form of a connection to my mom. Mm -hmm. And so I know in a way, like giving access to food was a no brainer for me. And I just dug myself in a rabbit hole. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like you came by honestly. And it also it sounds like you did the thing that we talked to founders so much about, which is like, talk to your customer. But you did that tons before they even were your customers, right? So like, you knew them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the parents, the consumers are not my customers, right? Like, right. Yes. my customers are actually like your online only grocers, your platforms like DoorDash, Uber and Shopify. Yeah. And that's bringing it on, realizing that that was a huge problem and, and a huge dollar volume. So you knew your customers' customers, I guess. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. exactly, exactly. And everybody has a KPI. It's kind of what I always talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So then what about partnerships? So when you were going out, when did it actually start? Because did it start pre-pandemic or kind of like right as pandemic yeah, so was happening? I started off, the first product that I initially launched was a pricing arbitrage. Mm-hmm. And then, as I mentioned, I realized that, the biggest problem was the inability to make payments. So I believe it was roughly around my co-founder's birthday where I was hiding it in a, a web page and just trying to sell it preemptively. <laughs> so around October 2020 was when I really like spearheaded this whole initiative and was just more of a sales focus versus a product focused company. Mm-hmm. And what I did was preemptively sell the solution and without having this thing. without having the product out yet. <laughs> And this was very Theranos. <laughs> uh, Theranos is, is definitely one of our idols. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so kind of going back, I remember December, I remember um, we ended up partnering up with a small merchant in upstate New York called The Hub on the Hill, mm-hmm. which I visited once and it's an amazing place to be at in the outer on next to New York. And I turned that around and within two weeks got Shopify to commit to us being their EBT provider. Wow. So that's when I knew that. And for Shopify, like the scale is huge, right? Like it's a $120 billion opportunity that they never really thought of. And they roughly have about 55,000 merchants that can accept EBT payments. And mm. so for us to kind of like really facilitate that, that was the first month of really launching this product back in December 2020. So I knew that I had to kind of build this thing out now instead of just selling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you were <laughs> in a hole. <laughs> so would you say that selling is like your... Is that your superpower selling or did you just like happen to have a really f-ing amazing idea and then it worked out easy to sell? No, I think it's a mixture. I, don't, I wouldn't say it's my superpower. I think as a CEO, there's three things that you have to do really well, which is like fundraise, hire a team and set the vision. And the way that I think about it as like being a CEO is I want to build an infrastructure for my team to be successful. And so whether that be preemptively selling so they can build something towards something is something that I I think about more so deeply when I start a company or when I think about what we need to really focus in on, because it takes time for to do it. One thing I've realized throughout this is that I've seen a lot of crappy startups. I don't want to say who they are, but like you see crappy startups where like even at the Series A, Series B 
and everyone is just like running around with their head cut off. Yeah. And you can tell it's because they have no guidance, like where the hell they're going. And I didn't want to be that company, right? So like preemptively selling was a way for my team to kind of see a goal of like, hey, like mm-hmm. we'll see the actual impact that we're going to be doing versus like, okay, what's the next thing? Well, there's going to be multiple next things, but like making sure that they have the infrastructure to build on top of that was something really important to me to keep my team excited. That's interesting because to me, it's kind of strikes me as the opposite, right? Because it's kind of like, oh, let's build the bridge under us as we go and the destination is over there, right? But it actually does provide you because the alternative is building and then hoping you have customers right hoping you have an impact and yeah I that's mean, a lot to ask <laughs> of somebody but yeah yeah exactly and that's tough i think that's a tough pill to swallow everyone wants immediate gratification or like hey mm-hmm. this is actually mm-hmm. working immediately and for more so build it and they'll come is more so on the consumer side right yeah. we're not necessarily yeah. on the consumer side uh, thank god I, I don't know if i can handle another consumer product <laughs> but, but but overall like as i mentioned i think every company has a kpi and like what luckily forge does for merchants and platform is kind of two things for groceries which is like hey i care about average order volume and i care about new customers right and so if you can kind of cover one of those two as a product and offering that's a huge validation for them um, especially yeah. in the gr- online grocery market yeah 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 cart value is massive i mean across all merchant categories and Jordan, I was trying to resist, but I have to do it basically for like an ethics reason. But I did used to work at Shopify, but I had no idea that they were one of your earliest customers. So it's not like we planned this, folks. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Um, I wasn't planning Shopify to be my first customer either, but... um... (laughs) <laughs> it just had, you know, it just so happened to work and we're excited about it. Yeah, no, it's interesting because it's not even like, like they're not a grocer platform by design, right? Like it's just something where people started doing it and they had to kind of adapt the product. This is like ancient history. They're now pretty mature there, but it, it wasn't one of their original target customer demographics, right? And then it just became like naturally people wanted to use it for that, right? But, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think, I think Shopify, you know, if you kind of look at where online grocery shopping is going, they're, they're expected is about 25 to 30% groceries are supposed to be online by 2025, 2030. Yeah. And so this is just a natural wave. Like Forge is just a natural wave of that progression. Mm-hmm. And so we just don't see there's any reason. right? Well, the whole thing about EBT is that it's actually 15% of the grocery market in America. Wow. So when you talk about like a subsection of it not being online, it's a mm-hmm. huge, huge problem. Yes. And yeah, yeah. this solves like multiple things besides the actual EBT volume not going through there. What we believe is that adding 42 million Americans to be able to transact EBT payments online solves a density issue. Mm-hmm. Now that actually means more zip codes, more delivery zones can be reached because of that. Due to the nature of that, these being our tax dollars, there's actual public government data that says where exactly people on EBT live at on the zip code level. Mm-hmm. So it makes it more efficient across the board. You know, in our hopes to make online grocery shopping more efficient and more, you know, and more equitable for Americans. Nice. Yeah, the accessibility option is not really one that I think you necessarily think about immediately, but it's like it definitely makes sense. Then you can add efficiencies to a system that is like, you know, in the typical government way, probably filled with a lot of inefficiencies because of just legacy or inertia or whatever. So it has that public good. It has that double public good benefit. Like you're not only just helping individuals on the ground, you're helping the people who fund the system through their tax dollars as well, right? Exactly. I think the way that we think about it is that we're helping merchants, platforms, government, and the consumer. And yeah. if we ever like don't do any one of those three, I think it impacts all three in a way. Right. Yeah, 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 for sure. Because yeah, you have the one customer, but they're reliant on everybody else in the network. Right? Exactly. 
Exactly. So talk to me a little bit about like hiring, because you were talking about the pillars of being a CEO. You know, this is a pretty interesting business and product, right? So like, what has hiring been like? You sold a bunch, then you decided to build the product. Yeah. How did you get people on board? I'm sure saying Shopify is our customer was helpful, but. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, hiring has been one of my most joyous things about building Forge. The way I think about hiring is especially as an early stage CEO, is that you have to be super vulnerable of who you are and why you're doing this. You make them know that they are the true builders of this company. And that's how I've been able to capture and get a ton of amazing people from broad spectrums of life to kind of join our company. And at the same time, as I mentioned, like I preemptively sold to make sure that they came in. Yeah, They're on the ground running. So we had three people back in September, and now we're at 13. Wow. So that was at the end of White Combinator where we did the batch. But in terms of hiring, we've hired amazing people We've hired people who were quant traders and converted them over to software engineers, Rob and Danny. Oh boy. Yeah, and you would, you would completely think different, but they're amazing humans. You know, we've hired people who worked with government, who was a director of EBT in Vermont. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That was, that's Ames. And then Colleen, who launched the first online EBT store. And then one of the bigger, everyone's a big hire, but one of the hires that was actually announced on TechCrunch back in, I believe, February, March, was OFEC, who was the head of payments of Instacart, joining as a COO. That's amazing. It's huge. Yeah. And so everyone, you know, from Stuart to Andres, like, and obviously my co-founder, Victor, the way that I think about the makeup of the team is just like the same way that I view my mom. Like, this is like my baby, right? So everybody has like a piece of like my mom in them. And like, that's just like how I really, like we're super close. And I see it in them. And like, this is like my baby. And I just view them as like part of it. And for me to be super vulnerable is like the number one way to make sure that I, I get the best talent, especially in this early stage, especially when it's super hard to Very get talent market. today. Yeah. Competitive market, super competitive. And I just want them to be successful. Like I'll do the 99% to kind of get them to where they need to be at. And they kind of fill out that 1% mm-hmm. to get it done. But in terms of hiring, yeah, obviously we're, we're always hiring, but it's always been, you know, one of the best things actually of building this company. And I'm so grateful to have all of them with me on this journey. That's amazing. You can tell when you talk about it because you say all their names. Honestly, it's just like, it's very, I don't know if Jordan, if you feel this way, but it was like, to me, I was like, I haven't really done one of these where I got that level of just like, you have a clear, definite connection with your team that seems to be, like you said, it just goes beyond kind of what you would normally expect. And it shows through. You're a very genuine person and you can tell immediately, yeah. right? But yeah, like I, mean, I can't remember I, the names of uh, most of the people who work for me. So Yeah, I was going to say, that's how I talk about you, Daryl. I almost choke up a little bit. But like, wait, so that's some big talent to have gone and captured. And you said yeah. that you were vulnerable, but like, what is the starting point? Like, are you LinkedIn messaging these people or like... <laughs> What, you know, like, how do you get in touch with Instacart's head of payments? Did you know him already? Like, what happened there? Yeah, well, so I'll start with one of them. Like, Rob was like, Rob, I reached out via Angelist, and he was just like, I want to do something impactful. And this is like when I had zero dollars in my bank account, like Mm -hmm. probably three thousand, five thousand dollars left to kind of fund this. I was like, hey, man, like, love your profile and, and reached out. I wrote one paragraph response of like who I am as a person, why I'm doing this. And then he responded. And I took a screenshot of it because May 10th is actually his one year anniversary. Oh, nice. And so so it's very memorable for me and like how I just did that. May and 10th is my 11 year anniversary. <laughs> you, you, me and Rob should go out for a drink. That's probably the plan. <laughs> we should. Yeah. <laughs> Celebrate. And um, I'll be and like, so, just 10 more years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so with Rob, it was just like a direct connection. And I love Rob to death. And 
think so highly of them. And then in terms of OFAC and, and how we connected, so out of Y Combinator, I didn't do demo day. I kind of like my own demo day, which was pitching to the president of Instacart, Neelam at that time. Mm. And then he ended up investing and has been a good mentor for myself. He's since left and is a, a partner at D1 Capital. I remember connecting with Asha and Mark, who are the CEO and CTO at a grocery conference in Las Vegas last September. And then I got connected to more broadly the executive team in Instacart, which included OFAC. And OFAC built the engine for EBT at Instacart and has done amazing work there. And I just remember like just having to pick his brain because at the end of the day, I had to sell it to him, right? Like I had to sell it to him because he's a decision maker. And then I remember flying to Money 2020, having no ticket in October. And I was just like, hey, I'm here. Let's find some time. And we just talked down Las Vegas Boulevard, you know, pretty great place to walk down and talk about EBT. Since then, he, he ended up becoming an investor and advisor at that, at that moment. And we would talk every day, every day, October, November. And December, I remember I was in my holiday party with the team and we're still talking. And I just like sent him a text. I was like, why are you at Instacart? You should be building mm-hmm. this with me here. Wow. And it took about two months of us dating, of like flying back and forth to LA. He lives in San Francisco, mm-hmm. just like talking about the business, talking about where I want to take this, where I want to take it with him and how we can build a very massive, impactful company. And then I remember it was a Friday when I flew to the Bay for my friend's birthday and we walked about four hours in Hayes Valley. So not as great as Las Vegas Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Um, and we walked around and then at the end, he was like, so are you going to hire me or not? And um, I was like, F it. I'm done. Let's do this. And mm-hmm. on Monday, he ended up sending his resignation to Instacart wow. and he's been here ever since. And funny enough, his first day of the job was actually interviewing at TechCrunch. Oh, amazing. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Are they mad at you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think Instacart is mad at me. I think a lot of them are probably more so surprised about mm, how yeah. I've been able to get this team. But, I, you know, I've gotten emails from them, their executive team, like congratulating me. And nice. So there is no animosity. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you talked about it was such a good list. Is the key thing the impact, do you think? Like, what is the key decider that gets everybody on board and is like this? Or is it a combination of things? Or is it the fact that you're... An amazing person. Which of these things is it? I wouldn't say I'm an, an amazing, amazing person. person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it's it's just a couple of factors. I think you know. I think everyone. There's a ton of people realizing they want to do impactful work, which is a big value at. Mm-hmm. And then being in an intersection of like fintech right now, which a lot of people want to do, yeah, is a great thing. And if you kind of put in the relevance of like. A stripe opportunity here, I think, is there. But I can't speak for the rest of the team on why they're here. I think everyone has their own ambitions. I'm just sure. here to help fill, you know, help them out with their ambitions as well. But yeah, it's just a mixture overall. And I wouldn't probably start saying that I'm an amazing person. <laughs> Definitely the amazing person thing counts for a lot. But then I think also what you hit on at the beginning, which is like, and maybe this is a broader conversation, probably not for this specific chat, but like, I do feel like there are folks in tech right now who are being so attracted to these like high impact double bottom line companies because 15 years ago going and taking a job at any of these tech firms was like a very exciting thing, right? Or mm-hmm. even up to like 10 or five years ago, it was like, oh yeah, I'm going to get like so much money and they have this cool campus. And I think that tech has, I don't want to say like become the boogeyman or the bad guy, but like there are so many companies out there that even though they're making a huge difference, there's a lot of kind of, there's a dark side to so many things, right? right. And so feeling like you're still in tech and working in a startup and growing something, like those things are all exciting, but then feeling like, okay, because we've talked to a bunch of founders about this who are like, 
super early stage and have like a very clear understanding of the fact that whatever tool I build can be used in multiple ways, right? In many different ways. And like, we have to be really vigilant early on that we make it so it's like really incentivized to use it in good ways or like forbidden to use it in bad ways. Otherwise, it'll be too big and we won't be able to control it. And this isn't really super applicable to Forage, but like, I think that that vibe has permeated the tech industry in a way where a lot of the talent is like, well, I could do something really similar, but like know that that thought is being put into the future. And that's really promising for them, you know, and very attractive. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's the way that I've I've always shared the opportunity at Forge is that this is just like the very baseline infrastructure that we're building, that there's a, a tons of new opportunities across the board that we're building. We won't go into too many details, but that's the excitement of people is that this is just the first problem that we're tackling that solves a huge issue. And it's the imagination for a strong team to build on top of that. Yeah, because I mean, that's the thing you're talking about the unique things that you have to handle. So I, I imagine that's a bit of the product design engineering catnip of like, it is a really tough challenge to solve technically, right, in terms of integrating all these systems. But it sounds like you're hinting at there's even more, right? Like there's other stuff that you get to build once you have these baseline, these rails laid that is potentially even more intriguing to like an engineer or a product designer or something like that. Yeah, I think overall, even just like building new products, right? If you kind of look yeah. at the, the pathway that Stripe kind of created new products, it wasn't like they created new payment processors over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. They actually created SMB, medium-sized businesses, making sure that you incorporate your company issuing, et cetera. Yep. So they've actually built more products on top of that. And that's because of their reach of number of merchants and platforms that they have or customers right. overall. Right. Similar to that vein, we have very strong customers, like large customers that we can facilitate new products and services to already Mm -hmm. because of the trust that we have compared to like many other payment processors out there. And to have those partnerships early on is like, okay, let's just do one thing great, which is provide EBT payments. And more broadly speaking, something natural would come out of it because of so many problems that we're solving already. Nice. Okay. Yeah. We're not going to get you to spill the beans, but I feel like (laughs) we're getting you to draw it through negatives now or draw it through comparisons. Yeah, it's like yeah. you're sketching it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What will it not be? Why don't you make a list of those? <laughs> Uh, we're going to be Palantir and Theranos combined. Uh, just, just like, Theranos, just, yeah. yeah. And Anduril, too. That's the other one, I think. Yeah, just all the national defense companies. I wanted to ask about, uh, we talked about hiring, but I do, I think this is kind of flip side of the same coin, but talking about venture and talking about like how do those conversations go and like, has that been a big challenge for you or, you know, yeah. what, what's your thinking there? Initially it was, it was definitely a struggle mm-hmm. and a lot of people Maybe I just like that pitching. It's probably the way that I always heard that. Well, you're good at sales. It's they're related, <laughs> right? One hundred percent, right? Selling is selling is to merchants, platforms, investors, team, right? Everyone. But initially, like it definitely was not hitting right in the beginning. We did end up raising a million dollars probably about a year ago, hmm. and then I think what kind of shifted gears was getting into Y Combinator right. two weeks after after that. And pretty much most of Y Combinator, we had about six, maybe seven customers already that included Shopify and some online only grocers. So we were trying to build with just three people at that time. Mm, You can imagine really hard. So throughout that time, I was like trying to build a narrative and story of like, what else am I building after EBT or just in general? And then we raised about $2 million out of Y Combinator, but we did it very strategically. Mm -hmm. And the way that I thought about it, you know, Forge is like a very lucky place where it's a pretty straightforward solution and you know who your customers are. 
Mm -hmm. It's like literally anybody with with grocers. So I kind of hand-selected investors who were connected to certain grocers and merchants and platforms to kind of help facilitate deals faster. Gotcha. Right. So it was just like, hey, are you a decision maker at, let's say, Uber? And it was just easier for me to like pitch it to them. And they completely understood it. They understood the market. They understood the, the opportunity. So we ended up like selecting these investors, a handful of them. And then at the same time, I ended up picking a lot of operators who I look up to who I can say like today sucks, you know, and they mm-hmm. can, I can talk to them. And that's kind of like how we did it in terms of pre YC, YC, and then a little bit after YC. And, you know, today it's been working to kind of close these deals and capture this team. Right. Yeah. And do you feel like it gets easier? Like, are you better at it now? Or what do you think? Is it something that you're never going to get used to? or what? I mean, at, during YC, I think I was great at it. Right now, it was like, there are definitely different challenges. I think your business changes each time. And you and yeah. as a CEO, you adapt. You have to adapt. But it's just something that's always a moving target that you have to improve. Right? I think there's, you're only as hypercritical to yourself. And so I'm never going to say I'm great at it. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I... Can't even imagine. Doing it. I would be so terrible at it. Jordan, imagine me pitching anything to investors. <laughs> I think like, would... it's whatever. I'm just like fine. I'd be like, I, like I don't even want to be here. <laughs> yeah. What do you uh, know? So let's go to. I want to go back into your history a bit. So like, it was mainly like at Newzella and at Sakana, you were like doing that educational market focus, right? So do you ever still think about that and like what you could have accomplished there? Like, why was that a selection for you? Was it just by chance? And then you've talked a bit about why you're now in the EBT space, but what about the education space? Yeah, I mean, to answer your question, would I ever go back to education company? I love what I do. I think I have the best mm-hmm. job in the world. Forage is, again, like the closest connection to my mom that I have. right? And and, yeah. and why I started in the ed tech space was at that time, like I was helping my sister go through college applications at the same time mm-hmm. and realize how painful it was. And that was my goal. Like my sister was pretty much my first product. Mm-hmm. Right, getting her to go to college. And that's why I wanted to kind of do that same thing for everyone else in America who wanted to go to college. I still read about education. I definitely like I get messages on LinkedIn to be an education expertise. Mm-hmm. But I love what I do. And my main focus is just solving this big problem. Do I think I'll go back to education? I don't know. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Right now. It's not like you soured on it. It's just like you just you shifted into this other direction, right? Or yeah, you mentioned also that you were like, I never want to work in consumer-facing <laughs> startups before. So I wasn't sure if that was part of that. But yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, one that is still accurate. I would never want to work in consumer applications. If you guys see me ever doing that again, just you can I can come back here and be refound. Uh, but overall there's other ways to impact the education space that's not necessarily consumer focusing right yeah in my opinion but i think right now like the way that i view education and ebt is that they're just both two different weapons of upward mobility Mm -hmm. and either one that i get to make an impact in i'm super grateful for doing that and so this brings up another thing that i was wondering about and we do ask this i think of a basically everyone who comes on who has like a impact focused startup is do you ever think about making changes at this sort of like structural, regulatory, like the level of the fundamentals of the problem, I suppose, as opposed to the implementation of the systems that are then generated, right? Like, how do you feel about that? And do you ever consider like, oh, well, maybe I should have gone into that side of things. Like, let's change things at the regulation level or local government or whatever, as opposed to on the product side. Yeah, I think 
I definitely think about it. You know, I spend a lot of my time reading a ton of legislation and seeing what's happening and still on the ground with a lot of politicians or, or lobbyists. Would I ever, or like, do I think, I, I don't know if I'd ever go into it per se, mm-hmm. but I do think for Forge to be successful, we have to work with them, mm-hmm. right? Because it's just, what I do hope is that Forge does make an impact and, and they come to us and say like, what are you guys looking at or what do you guys see? Right. When Forge does become an adult, I do see that as one opportunity area. So you could advise on future regulation, like exactly like successors I, to the Farm Act or something. Yeah, I, but I, yeah, exactly. I, I, but I wouldn't want to go, you know, like, hey, like be hyper aggressive like many companies have been before and push certain initiatives. When they come to us for guidance, I think that's the best way to go about it, especially working with the USDA or government. Yeah. And you work, you work with them right now or just not, you're kind of too early to start working with them or what? Yeah. So it's just different levels. Like, as I mentioned, we do talk to a lot of senators, politicians on a day-to-day level and just getting a good understanding of how they're thinking about food access. If you saw the White House kind of outlined a new food and nutrition conference later this mm-hmm. year, that's a big move. We weren't part of that, but like, we're excited that that's actually moving forward. And then on the ground level, you know, we work with the FNS and follow everything that they do. FNS is the Food and Nutrition Services Agency that really mm-hmm. is the one that's driving online EBT. Okay, cool. And I know you mentioned like your customers at the grocers, right? But do you think about the education of their customers or like initiatives around that, around like better nutrition for people or better allocation of their EBT resources or things like that? Yeah. So we don't, right now, we don't, we definitely help them out, guiding them through like what works in terms of targeting or marketing to this consumer. Yeah. yeah. I don't think we've gotten too deep on the nutritional aspect yet. Right. You know, I think that's another problem that will hopefully solve later down the line, but yeah. I think right now... Well, only like, 13 people. I mean, I'm giving you a lot to play <laughs> off here. <laughs> yeah, we're still in ground zero. Ho- hopefully, you know, we 3X the team by the end of the year. But I think I think right now, the first problem is the infrastructure level problem. And then we're going to be building on top of that. Yeah. Oh, and a question I had about the timing of it. So I'm very curious, do you think you would have founded this company without the pandemic at the time that you founded it? Because like you mentioned, it accelerated significantly the, the yeah. online grocery part. That's a great question. The problem about this is that like this company or product would not have been available five years ago. Right. And so it would not. And and, I, and where I think about it is like, you're 100% correct. I do think the pandemic and online grocery shopping definitely helped drive this. But it's something that naturally had to happen anyways, right? If you think about it, like, it's just insane that online EBT was not accepted in 2016, 17. Like Instacart yeah. was founded in what, 2012 or whatever year it was. And so it takes like seven years to accept online EBT and Instacart, which is just mind boggling. Yeah, yeah. You're 100% right. I do think that it wouldn't have worked out. But at the same time, like we're at such a critical point in Forge's lifespan, which is like we think online EBT market is going to be won in the next 12 to 18 months. And so Forge is primed to actually win that whole market online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the timing worked out great. But was it coincidental or was it like, oh, no, it's because it's because this happened at this time? Right? I think the government wanted it to happen. And I think it's just COVID and online grocery shopping accelerated it. Yeah. And then, like, I want to get back into more discussion about kind of like your personal journey as a leader. So, like, we talked a bit about what you said you think is important for a leader to have and to be good at. Right. But like for you personally, what was the biggest challenge when you shifted and what maybe changed in your approach from Sikana to Forage, right? We talked about things didn't go great at Sikana, right? But things are going better at Forage, fingers crossed. So like, what did you take away from that that you were like, 
oh, I have to change this about my leadership style. Yeah, I don't, you know, I was super young when I started Sakana. So mm-hmm. I was just naive and thinking like the same concept, of, like, if you build it, they will come. Definitely, right. they never came. <laughs> so, <laughs> Turns out there's a lot of things people build and people don't come. <laughs> yeah, those. yeah. And so um, with Forage, I literally put like my whole mind, my body, everything in front of it to build that infrastructure. And, and that what I meant is like really just selling, selling to Shopify. You know, and, and getting selling to the team and building this whole infrastructure. So I became an expert in multiple fields from like payments slash fintech to government to groceries to this consumer. Mm-hmm. So I really just like handle it. I know what people buy. I know their average order volume. I know what payments they use the percentage breakdown of a credit card to a check to cash to mm. legislation across the board, who's supporting it and the top grocers. Like it, that's like what I'm trying to say is that I just ended up becoming an expert and ingrained in it through like this Facebook group and just reading a ton. Yeah. And overall, like as a leader, and I think I can speak for my team on this is like, they see me going like 110, 100, like 200% over and over and mm. over again. And that gives them the confidence to go just as hard. Because like as a leader, like if you have a bad day or if like you are not giving 100%, like your team will definitely know, right? Oh, and, yeah. yeah. And it's for me, I, I made sure like I put it like on the line over and over and over again. And that's kind of how I think of it as a leader is you lead by example. And I hope I've done that for my team to show and build the infrastructure for them to be successful. Yeah. No, that, I mean, it's really interesting that you put that kind of like, to me, that sums up a lot of what we go through, I guess, when we're younger and taking an approach to something versus what we do when we're more mature about it, which is like the inside out versus the outside in kind of perspective, right? Like you start young and you're like, I have a great idea and here's my idea and I'm going to give it to the world and they're going to be so thankful about that my idea is here. And then as you gain experience, you're like, wait, no, like I just need to very much understand what is out there and then provide them something that is needed as opposed to being inspired and delivering something to them, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a mixed bag, right? It just depends yeah. on who you're talking to. Yeah. There's yeah. no one clear path, right? Like if it was, then everyone would do it. Yes. Right? Like, and that's, I talked to a bunch of founders and CEOs and it's always messy. It's always messy. It never goes right. When it does go right, there's something wrong. So you kind of, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, and you're not thinking, you're not really looking at it, but the way that I think about as a leadership is we're lucky. And I tell this with a lot of people is just like, just focus on one KPI internally mm-hmm. as a company early on and just hammer that KPI over and over and over again. And why it's important for them to wake up and do what they're doing with their customers or our partners or whatever they're doing on a day to day. And when you lose that focus as a company, I think it gets hard to get back. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting to hear you talk about narrowing it to even just one specific KPI. And I don't know if we actually, if you express this explicitly but what is the kpi for yeah i mean as a payment processor it's just volume right it's 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 just like the acceleration to volume i've catered the team's jds or job descriptions towards like that one kpi and if they asked me what else should i care about i was like nothing else (laughs) nice blinders on yes Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah You're at that stage. Like you'd want people to have blinders on for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know you're very small, but another thing that came up while you were talking about, you know, your focus and your kind of drive is, do you consider at all work-life balance or do you feel like you're too early and too small to think about that? Or how does that play into it? And kind of like the wellness of your yeah. employees and team? Yeah, that's a good question. One, I'm not, I'm not great at it. I need to get better <laughs> at it. You know, I've started working on it internally. Mm-hmm. I think back in September, I got a professional CEO coach. Nice. Now go, I'll go training every morning at like five in the morning. And that's when I know like, that's like block off time from like five to seven. My team knows that like, that's my personal time, even though we're 
by Coastal. But for my team, I make sure that they take time off. And if they message during a work day, I'll respond back and say, like, you shouldn't be responding. But I think right. that's really important. But the worst thing that I've done is obviously my own work-life balance. And it is tough to kind of do that. But what I've done now is try to at least take one day off on the weekend just to kind of take a refresh. So, oh, wow. You're really going the extra mile there, that one day <laughs> off on the weekend. <laughs> You need more time off. Yeah. <laughs> Look at you go. <laughs> I'll try. I try to work I'll, one I'll day. Two, a week. I'll do. I'll, I'll do. I'll do two days this weekend. How about that? I'll, I'll do two days. Oh this yes. Okay. Good. We made some progress here. I think it's important. There you go. Yeah, and maybe a long lunch during the week at some point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's lunch? Yeah. What's 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 lunch? <laughs> I've combined lunch and breakfast oh, yeah. into like an eleven thirty. Yeah. Kind yeah. of thing yeah yeah and jordan knows from past experience mine is raw almonds and arugula just shoved hastily into my mouth and i'm like yeah i also know that daryl puts a cow block for like 12 to 12 45 to eat lunch but i always ignore it i'm like let's do a meeting right everyone always ignores it i put it there now Well, it's too obvious in your calendar (laughs) you know what i mean like it goes straight across so it's like that's a block I know, I know what a block looks like, sir. Yeah. But like, do you think that that is your number one thing to work on? Like, it sounds like it really is something that you Probably. are very conscious of. Or like, what do you think is your, I know this is a very weird. What's your greatest like, weakness? <laughs> self job interview. But yeah, like what, what do you need to improve most, do you think, in order to guarantee future success for yourself and for, for Forage? Yeah, you know, my job as a CEO is just to put this company in the best position possible. Right. Like I think that's always number one and making those hard decisions come and go. But I never try to think about like my weaknesses too much because it will definitely kill me if I overthink about all of them. Right. There's plenty. There's plenty, just to be clear. But I I think (laughs) of those those three things of making sure the company's good, which is again is just like hiring, fundraising, and setting the vision. Yeah. Yeah. Those are three things that you have to do as like the CEO. And then obviously make those tough decisions that kind of trickle from those. Mm -hmm. But if I over you know, I definitely look and hear from my team to get any feedback, but if I overthink of them, all those other small details, like there's a clear goal, especially at an early stage company, just to stay focused on those. Yeah. What I see a lot of companies do, even like myself, is that they overthink things at an early stage and it just messes their whole groove up. And when it gets too complicated, that's when you know, I feel like you end up failing for the most part and you don't have this tunnel vision. Yeah, yeah. Is that something you've learned from your own past experience or is it something mostly you've observed from external validation i think it's just like a mixture like definitely in my past experience and being around amazing ceos and then talking to other ceos but look, is this the right path for everyone like I, I wouldn't say yes but i think it has worked for forge so far worked for me mm-hmm. and i'll make minor tweaks along the way or major tweaks yeah well i think i think you bring up a good point which is like nothing is going to be the right thing for everyone but it's a blend of know thyself right i mean it's like take into account what your natural strengths and predilections or whatever are and then adapt your strategy to accommodate the best part of that and defray the worst part of that right and it yeah. sounds like you're fairly self-aware right yeah i think like the one key thing that i always think about is like i didn't do a hundred good things to get here i did one thing great to get here right Right. I, and then I'm going to build on top of that one great thing. And then other great things are going to be built on top of it. Nice. Well, Justin, if it's helpful on the like taking some time off work thing, I got a good piece of advice a few years ago, which was that like every time you take off, you give all the people who work for you permission to take off and That's to right. take care yeah. of themselves. And if they don't see you do that, then they they won't do it themselves. 
Right. And really changed my attitude. Changed my attitude. Didn't actually change how much time I take off, but it really made me think harder about really it. Really made me just think about it a few it a really, little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> put it up here in the, in the old And mind. you know what's great is the converse is also true. If you never take time off, you get the most. <laughs> yeah, <of everybody. laughs> exactly. So if that's what you're going for. <laughs> that's what we're going for. This, this has been for. toxic working environment with <laughs> <Yeah>. Jordan and <Darryl. laughs> My glass door. Uh, we joke around about my glass door reviews, and now it's plummeting. <laughs> yeah, like as we speak <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah. So, like, what what are you excited about for Forage? What's next for you that you kind of like wake up in the morning, just going like, "Yes, this is going to be great." I mean, you know, as many details as you can share. I know you're still young, you're still under wraps, but yeah. no, I, I get super excited about my team and working with them on a day to day basis. Right? Like, again, I have the best job in the world to help payments go through for people on EBT. And every single time Forge makes a dollar, kind of similar to your double bottom line, like we know that we're making an impact with families. And so I don't know anywhere else that like, you know, that I can say I do that. And that's kind of what gets me super excited every morning and why I'm happy to work six, seven days a week. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are the the nature of like being a business and a startup fundraising. But at the end of the day, I always take a step back and just say like, why am I doing this when I have a bad day? So waking yeah. up, waking up is easy because I have an amazing team and we get to try and solve this problem. Yeah. Like the North Star thing comes back again, right? Like you have the North Star and the KPI for the, the company and then you have it personally as well. So you can kind of like let this stuff roll off your back. That's not so great. But yeah, it sounds like do you share that feeling with other founders that like fundraising is a necessary but painful distraction or do you have a different kind of approach to, to thinking about it? And the way I think about fundraising is just like I need to keep my team alive. If we can't right. feed ourselves, then I can't feed, you know, the rest of Americans. So that's kind yeah. of just the nature <laughs> of how I think about yeah. it. But in terms of like other founders, like everyone knows that fundraising is not the prettiest for most people. And so I just want somebody to come on and be like, I love fundraising, but that's never happened. And probably never will. <laughs> like, no, there, I'm sure there are people that like it, but chances are they're not building a very cool product because they're yeah, like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm in the <laughs> fundraising game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Elizabeth fund- Holmes loved it. <laughs> she, she was great at it and we should hire her for our sales team our sales lead, just to be clear I think she's you know? looking for something <laughs> um, but yeah overall like fundraising was somewhat easy sometimes but there are times where you don't get it right like the number of times like I'm super lucky right I've seen horror stories where people don't get term sheets for months Yeah, we haven't gone through that whole problem but fundraising is still a time consuming aspect where you're not there on the day to day building yeah, yeah. And so the fun part is not fundraising, right? The fun part is actually building this company and building this team and working with them on a day-to-day because there's other problems and other fires that we need to solve. Yeah. So we're just about out of time, but is there any succinct final advice you have for other founders out there who might find themselves in in your shoes? Yeah, I think like overall, just enjoy the roller coaster. Mm -hmm. I think it's always important. Like, you know, chances are you're still going to fail. I always say that, like, there's a good chance you still fail. So enjoy the high points and try and try to work with people that you care about and that care about you. I think that will make everything better every single day. Because at the end of the day, like as a CEO, I think I got this from one of my old CEOs. It was like, you're still shitting bricks on your own. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and no one knows what it looks like in the bathroom besides you. Right. But the team around you makes it a lot easier. Sage advice. Yeah, I think it's like it, it applies beyond startups. It's just like surround yourself with people who you want to go to bat for and who will go to bat for you and you'll be much happier. Right? Exactly. Yeah. It's like this layer of motivation that I think is taken for granted. Like, oh, I'm not just doing it for me or the paycheck. Like, person yeah. on my left really needs me to do it. 
and it'll make their life easier. And you were talking about the existential aspect that I also take. And Jordan knows this, I think, that I go in every day and I'm like, I want to make this website still exist so that all these people that I really like can continue to have jobs, get their livelihoods from it and enjoy their lives. Right. Like that's that's it. That's the only thing I'm here for. Nothing else. Yeah. yeah. Sorry if anybody here thought that I was here for something else. Tech We're super realistic folks support, over like, here. Yeah. 60 people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we care about the tech and everything, too, yeah. for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, Thanks that's so a great much. note, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good ending note. Good ending note. Survive. <laughs> uh, Justin, it's been great chatting with you. Really enjoyed having you on here. And I really enjoyed learning about Forage and what you all are doing over there. And I hope you uh, continue to do it because it seems like a great and necessary thing. Awesome. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks. And uh, check out Equity next week on Thursday. And then we'll be back the following Thursday. Thanks for watching, folks. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch news editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch managing editor Jordan Crook. Yashad Kulkarni is our executive producer. We are produced by Maggie Stamitz and edited by Cal Keller. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com, and you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash found listener survey. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.